We are Crossroads Grace Church. Our purpose is to lead people to discover Jesus and follow Him fully. This week's message is taught by our teaching pastor, Brian Hunt. From wherever you're listening, we hope that you are challenged and encouraged by this week's message. Hello, everybody! How are we doing? Good to see everybody. Hello, hello. Hey, my name is Brian. I'm the lead pastor here at Crossroads. Glad that you're with us here today. And uh, so glad that you are here. And honored that you tune in, turn up, wherever you might be at, around the country, around the world, in an RV somewhere. Who knows where you're at? But glad that you're with us here and also here uh, at the campus uh, as well. And if we can help you in any way, be able to take your next steps with Jesus. That's why those hosts are available for you. Text anytime throughout the service. They'd love to be able to help you there. And as you take in the service, I want you to know that our mission here it never stays it never changes it is always that we exist to lead people to discover Jesus and follow him fully any way that we can help you do that we want to take help you take your next step on that journey uh, but guys it is election time it is almost here a Tuesday you are getting I know you're going to be disappointed all those commercials are going to go away and all those th- I know I know I know I know we're going to do our best and um, but guys we need to continue to pray we need to continue to pray for that election we need to pray for uh, not just the, f- the federal but also for for the state level and all the things different happening wherever you might be at around your, your, your neck of the woods. But let me just push pause. I want to pray one last time for that election and uh, just ask God's hands, if you would. Father God, we, uh, we come before you and uh, we once again lift up this election that's about to happen. Uh, God, we know that there is uh, seemingly, it seems like a lot on the line for so many people. But God, what we want to remember is that Jesus, you're on the throne. You're not going anywhere. You, you are fixed and you are, you are doing things despite all the craziness around us. So Father, would you help us to instill that peace in our lives as we go to the polls? Would you allow our world to come under your control and allow us just to take a deep spirit-filled breath and to know that you have got this? And so God, we trust you in this. We pray for those that would be elected that you would guide their leadership. And as we talk about leadership today, that you would show us what it looks like to be a true leader. Help us, Father, to make those next steps, but to trust you every way. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, listen, we're kicking off a brand new series today. It is called Do Good. That's the name of it, Do Good. And over the next four weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to be looking at the book of Titus in the New Testament. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that book here in just a second. But would you just take a second and find that book in your Bibles, if you would? Great time to open up your Bibles. It's in the very end, if you want to know exactly where it's at. Or you might have that Crossroads Grace app, which is a tremendous resource. Download that if you haven't already. Chat host is a good time to put the Bible link in the chat log so people know exactly where we're at. Uh, but while you do that, uh, let me explain a little bit more behind this whole Do Good series that we're in. Now, 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 Do Good is more than kind of a catchy sermon title. It's actually a movement that we want to see in, in Christians that, that trust Jesus and they want to do what is, what is good. Uh, because let's face it, uh, it can be really hard to want to do good in a season like we're in. Uh, we, have, we have all seen lots of reasons why we would not want to do good as we look at the world around us. And we know, though, that no matter how the election turns out or whatever else happens, there are going to be upset people. And when that happens, the world can become anemic to doing what is good. However, as Christians, we're not off the hook. As Christians, we're called to something greater. We are called to be Jesus to the world in all that we do. So here's what we've decided to do as a church. That knowing that the world is on the brink of needing a giant timeout to think about all their bad behavior... 
What we want to do as a church is we want to blitz the Central Valley and beyond, wherever you're watching this right now, and we want to be able to blitz it with good. So, so here's how we're going to do it. Through the month of November, we are going to try and complete, are you ready, 10,000 acts of good as a church. 10,000 acts. That's right. And the way that we're going to do this is by logging our do-good moments. And, and here's how we are going to do it. Either on your Crossroads Grap or... Grap? What is a Grap? That's like really close to like being a really bad meme, but that didn't happen. Your Crossroads app is what I meant, right? Or you could go online to crossroadsgrace.org slash do good. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to log the good things that you're doing. Okay? I, I simply want you to do this. You're going to click on one of these buttons. We'll go to that next slide there so we can kind of take a look. Go to submit your act of goodness or share your story, whichever you're comfortable with. And here's what I want you to do. You can share about the story if you want. Kind of give us a little bit more detail if you want to. But you can also just say, hey, this is an act of good that I did. And guess what? It's completely anonymous. Completely anonymous. So for anybody that's worried about being boastful or bragging about crossroads, that just, it eliminates all that stuff altogether. But, but if you are concerned about this feeling boastful and, and not a good thing to do, let me, let me just kind of tell you this. Isn't it true that the world has no problem shouting from the rooftops all the bad things that are happening around us? Am I right? Like, they have no problem doing that. So I just don't think it's a bad thing to counteract all that negativity with some good. Anybody else agree with me? Right? You know what I'm saying? Like, let's do some good. So, so I, I, and, and think about this for just a second. I, I'm sorry, just a little bit of a rant. Okay, this is free, okay? So, I, I mean, Jesus didn't seem to hold back when he did good things in public. He sure healed people in public. He, led fi- he fed 5,000 people in public. He, 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 he made a blind person see in public. He didn't pull him into a room and then make him heal and bring him back out. No, he forgave sins in public. So I think the world needs good, and we could give it to them as Christians. And so we want to do 10,000 acts of good, and everything counts. So I'll give you a few examples just to kind of kind of prime the pump for you today, okay? So maybe you compliment a worker at a restaurant for great service. That's good. Mowing a neighbor's lawn. That's good. Writing thank you cards to, cards to encourage teachers or, or administrators. That's good. Dropping off dinner for police officers. That, that's good. And, and maybe taking a pizza to the Hope Family Shelter here in Manteca. That, that's good. So, so chat hosts, I want you to throw that link in the chat right now. But from little acts to big acts, we want to take the fuse out of the powder keg of negativity. We want to say, no, 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 not today, Satan. No, 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 not going to happen. Not going to happen. So here's what I want us all to do. Wherever you're at, around the country, around the world, jump in. Do some good things throughout the, the, the month of November. Let's, let's, just, let's just saturate the Central Valley and the world and let them know what good really looks like. Oh, and... Um, and one more thing, I forgot about this. Uh, we are going to be wrapping up the series with a very special $5 challenge that, that you will want to be a part of and want to start preparing for. I normally don't tell you, y'all, it's coming, okay? But I'm telling you right now, end of the series, $5 challenge. If you're not familiar with the $5 challenge, hang tight. I'm going to tell you more about it. But it's simply is saying, hey, what if everybody gave five bucks? What could have happened? I'll tell you, a lot of good things have happened. But there's more to come on this, but I just want you to let you know, the biggest $5 challenge that we've ever done the biggest by far with the biggest impact you can't even imagine. So prepare yourself $5 challenge, okay? Because when we choose to do good, here's what we're doing. We are aligning ourselves with the very character and nature of God himself. That's what we're doing. Listen to what Martin Luther King Jr. once said. He said, life's most urgent question, what are you doing for others? Really important. So 
What are you doing for others? Because over the last few months, haven't we been asking this? Hey, uh, what can you do for me? Yeah, if you want my vote, what are you going to do for me? I mean, there's been a lot of self-centered focus, hasn't there? But if we navel-gaze too long, what we're going to do is we're going to cause ourselves to miss out on what God has called us to do. That's what we'll miss out on. Which is why we want to just punch all that junk right in the face and choose to do good in the face of everything that is not good. And as I said, the decision to, to do good lies at the very heart of God himself. So it's not about, hey, look at me. It's about looking at God. So before I even get too far, I also want, to, want you to hear this. Very clearly, loud and clear, I want you to hear me. Being good or doing good is not what makes us right with God. Our, our good deeds will not wipe away our sin and it will not make God love us anymore. No. If that were possible, then everything that we're doing right now, this whole church thing, is a waste of time. We certainly didn't need Jesus because we could have just gooded our way into heaven somehow. But there is no amount of good that makes us right with God. There is no amount. Only the free gift of grace from Jesus will ever provide us the solution that we need for our sin. It is Jesus' goodness, his greatness, that saves us. But here's the deal. Once we do know Jesus, stepped across that line, said, I believe in Jesus, and he's in our life, we can't help but live outwardly different. We just can't. So, so the outworking of a life lived for Jesus and Jesus inside us should be marked by, among other, among other things, but one big thing is goodness. It should be marked by goodness. David would say this in Psalm 23. Listen, he says, Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. It's great from David, but I think Paul actually hits it the clearest, and right on the head, right? I think he, he, he shows us what it looks like to have a, a life that is marked by goodness and by God's grace. So look in Galatians, if you would. Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse 9. And there we read these words. It says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. So, so Paul points out some really important things here that we need to know. Actually, three things, just real brief, I want you to consider. The first is that he says, I don't want you to become weary in doing good. Okay? Don't become weary in doing good. So by telling us that, what he's saying is that, hey, guess what? Good can be a little tiring. can be tiring. It's going to take some effort to do the right thing, to do the, right, the good thing. And after a while, man, it might even feel exhausting. You might know exactly what he's talking about. You, you might look around at your life. You look at some people that are doing some things, and you're like, you're scratching your head. They're a bunch of boneheads, and they seem to be getting farther along in life than you. And you're like, well, what the heck is the point of doing good? I should just do like these guys. It happened to me this week. No joke. This week, okay? Um, I was doing a vow, a, a vow renewal for a great couple here in the church up in Tahoe. And so with, uh, with, with kind of COVID and how the schedules work at school and everything, there was just no way to kind of make it all work. So uh, what I did is I took um, Easton and Anison up with me to Tahoe on Wednesday because that's digital day and it's all good. But Thursday, I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to get back in time for Easton to physically go to school or Anison to log on. So I called the school, called Easton School, and I said, hey, here's a deal. Uh, and it, this is what's happening and Easton's going to need to come with me so he probably won't be able to come to school on, on Thursday because he's coming with me to kind of to work. And I'll tell you what, they read me the riot act. I'm telling they, they were all over me, right? Where's he going? Why is he going? Where's he going? I'm like, whoa, 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 he's going with me. He's going with me. That's where he's going. That's where he'll be. If you need to, he's going to be with me. 
Now, here's the deal. If I would have lied and said, you know what, he's not feeling good, he's got his doctor's appointment, no big deal. But I chose to do the right thing and do good, and I got chewed out. What the heck is that, you know? So, so here's the deal. I, I get it. I totally get it. But Paul says, listen, don't give up. Don't give up in doing, in doing the right thing because God, in God's time, the good work, he said, will reap a harvest. So that's the first thing. The second implication is that we are to do good to uh, two groups of people. He says to all people and to the, the family of believers. All people in the family of believers. So, so why is that important? Well, it's important because it yet again drives home the importance of a balance to our Christian walk. In other words, we can't, as Christians, be so focused on other people outside the church that we forget about the needs of the people on the inside of the church. But at the very same time, we can't be so inward focused on all the needs of the people in the church that we forget about the evangelistic nature of being a Christian of those outside the church. So Paul is saying, hey, here's the deal. Do good to everybody. Just do good to everybody. But the third thing we need to consider is, is, is this, call, this whole call to be good by, by Paul is to ask ourselves the question, really, what is doing good? Like, like what is that? What, is, what does it mean to do good? And, and by now, I know some of you are probably thinking, Listen, I thought this was like a series about the book of Titus. Will this windbag ever like be quiet and actually get to the book? You know, hang tight. Okay, hang tight. I got the mic. You don't relax. Okay. All right. So, well, well here, it's coming. It's coming. I'm telling you. The answer to the question, what does it mean to do good? It's found within this little letter to Titus, written by none other than Paul himself, the guy that wrote the book in Galatians. You see, Paul didn't just like pontificate about goodness. He wanted us to actually do good. And found within the pages of this small little letter to this young man by the name of Titus are powerful examples for us all about what it means to do good. And as Christians, we should be leading the way on this. By the way, you should know that, right? We should be leading the way on the goodness train because we have the good news of Jesus Christ in our life. So we should be the one, right, the goodness train, we should be the ones doing it. As I look back on my life, though, and I look back on my life, it's, it's really cool to see the people God kind of aligned and put, put, in, my, put, in, put in my path and placed in my place to, to lead me to where I'm at today. I mean, great people that took the time to, to teach and to direct and to challenge me and to inspire me to become the man, the father, and the pastor that I am today. I mean, I've been so lucky to have moments throughout my life where at just the right time, the right person said the right thing to put me in the right position to do the right thing. My brother Brad, one of my closest friends in the whole world, I just love him to death, and he is that for, to me in so many ways. He just sends the right text at the right time, sent me one today just to kind of encourage me, and just was at the right time. And so time and time again, it continues to happen. And for that, man, I'm just humble, and I'm grateful for God's direction in my life. And I say all that because Titus is really the product of that very same thing. The book of Titus, or really it's more of a letter, if you will, it's written to this young man by the name of Titus, and it's just one of the many interactions that he had with the Apostle Paul. And, and both Titus and another guy by the name of Timothy, who we'll talk about in a second here, they were both young men that Paul mentored and he discipled for years as he was planting churches in these different areas. And we're going to talk more about this discipleship thing in a little bit, really in the next couple of weeks. But just for right now, just know that being discipled is when someone comes alongside you to help you follow Jesus and, and love him fully. That, that's what it really is. 
It could be one of the richest and the hardest relationships you'll ever have in your life, but it is so necessary in order to follow Jesus fully. That's what we need, to be discipled. Titus had that in Paul, and you're going to see that throughout as we go. But let's dive in. Let's get to this book of Titus. Let's get after it. Chapter 1, let's start in verse 1, and we read these words. It says, Paul, a servant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, in which now, at his appointed season, he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior." So let's just chew on these three verses for just a second because they really help to set the table for the rest of the book. Because the first thing that we see is that Paul cares deeply for Titus. In the opening lines of this, it actually says that to Titus, my, my true son. Now that's a, that's a pretty intense word. And let me explain this to you and why there's this affection between Titus and Paul. You see, Titus accompanied Paul to Crete during one of his church planting trips. That's actually where this, this letter is written to. Now, Crete was an island. It was about 156 miles long. It ranged from 8 miles to 35 miles wide. Had a whole bunch of, of, of towns that were scattered throughout it. And Paul, he planted churches at these different towns, as many as he could. And as we'll see, with one of these trips, Titus was left there on this island of Crete to, to, to uh, develop leaders, to, to lead the church, to help them grow healthy in Jesus. So, so Paul is writing to Titus to help him lead the church and to do it well. And he does so with the care of like a father. He, he says, you're my true son. Paul was teaching Titus as a dad would to, to lead. And developing leaders is super hard. I know. I just know. There are so many facets to it that we feel like have to happen in order to have a good leader. And what we do is we sometimes overcomplicate it to the point that we have like leadership paralysis. We don't really know what to do. And I love talking leadership with people. One of my favorite things to do. And seeing people develop in their leadership, mm, so good. It's one of my favorite things. And I, you should just know this. Before you start to check out anywhere, you know, in Facebook world or YouTube world, you just need to know this. Everyone, everyone is a leader at some level. We all are leading people in our home, in our job, at the gym, especially as Christians. Because isn't it true when people find out that you're a Christian, all of a sudden they're going to start watching how you live your life just a little bit more? So, so we all need to embrace that Paul is going to teach us today as leaders. We all need to embrace this. But, but in, it, in, it is probably the, the, in the simplest way to kind of describe leadership development. I think it can be summed up with three phrases. It's this. See one. Do one, teach one. That's how you develop a leader. Now, let me explain how this works. So the first one is, is, is see one. The first thing you need to do is, is show how to do a skill. And, and as they do the skill, they will visually watch you as they're doing it. There might be a lot of watching at first, but that's okay. Because they want to know what the end looks like and helps them kind of know where to start. So it's okay to see one. But the second one is, is after they see one, then we have them do one. You give them a chance to do it themselves, to kind of, you know, kick the tires, to try to master it. And it takes practice and practice and more practice to be able to get comfortable with the skill and to finally master that skill. But you'll never know that you can do it unless you let them do it. So we see one, then we do one. But the last one, we can't stop there. We can't just do one. The last one is teach one. This is the only way that you know a leader can fully lead as if 
he or she can teach someone else. This is the ultimate test of how far the understanding of the skill has really sunk into each person. It's to, to teach one. And, and the reason that I take the time to kind of unpack this is this really is what the book of Titus is all about. It's the culmination of Paul investing in Titus by letting him see one, do one, and teach one. So Paul invested in Titus for several years. Actually let him watch on a lot of missionary trips that they went on. And then Paul trusted Titus to lead the church that he planted in this island called Crete. Again, which is why this letter is written to Titus. Again, it's to instruct him on how to raise up leaders just as Paul has done. And now it's time for him to do something with it, to teach other people. So look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, The reason I left you in Crete, this is Paul speaking, was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Now, now I think this is important for us to see that Paul actually says that the work was left unfinished. Really important to consider that. What that means is that Titus wasn't a puppet of Paul, just he was telling him what to do. That was the Roman approach to leadership. If you read throughout history, Rome put in puppet governors in different, in different towns to do their bidding. They held no power at all, only with the power that Rome gave them. Paul didn't do that approach. He had the Jesus approach. And Jesus' approach to leadership development was to see one, do one, and teach one. So Titus had seen Paul lead and lead other churches, and now it was time for Titus to kind of do it himself. That's what it was, it was time to do. But, but notice that Paul doesn't say, hey, just figure this out, big boy. Just figure it out. No, he says, here's what you need to look for. Go back with me. Look at verse 6 now in chapter 1. It says, an elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. (laughs) Now, I understand that Paul is talking about leadership within the church. I I totally get that. But I want to broaden our, 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 our look at this and to say that I think that what Paul just said here is important of all leaders. And I just want you to know that, that, again, that all of us are leading something. So when he says this, we need to know this. So he's saying, here's what godly leaders are. They're blameless, faithful. They, they, they great leaders in their home. They're patient. They're self-controlled. They're sober-minded. They're peaceful. They're honest. Dang, could we just stop there for just a second? What if we vetted all of our leaders under that list right there? I mean, how different would the world be just by that? I, I mean, guys, think about this for a second. Professional football players, before they are drafted, they take a test called the Wonderlick test. It's one of the hardest psychological tests, they say, because they want to figure them all out. If you're in the business world, before you get hired for a job, you're going to take a DISC test and a Myers-Briggs and an Enneagram, all to be your figure out your personality type. Even as a pastor, before I got this job, man, they put me up to lie detectors and shock things and like, who knows, you know? They did everything. Why? Right? I had hair before I interviewed for this job. It was amazing. Right? Just shoot it up, right? Why do they do that? They want to make sure that it's a fit personality-wise. And to see who is a straight-up disaster case that people should avoid being around. That's why. Now, here's a little fun fact for you. little fun fact. In my research and talking to a few other public leaders, do you know that none of our leaders on a state, local, or federal level are, are required to take any tests of any kind? Like zero testing at all. Just a 
Fun fact for you to put in your back pocket at a party someday. Isn't that fun, you know? That we vet a quarterback in the NFL more than the President of the United States. Just for me to you. There you go, okay? But, but yet Paul says, if you want to be a leader in the church, this is the criteria. Oh, and he doesn't stop. Oh, no, no. He's just getting started. He finishes up. Look at verse 6. He says, or verse 8, he says, Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So Paul adds a few more of, of the list of musts right there. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I forgot a couple. Uh, he says, yeah, they have to be upright. They got to be holy. They got to be disciplined. They got to be trustworthy. They need to be bold and standing up for what is right. Oh, they also can't be scared to call people out when they're wrong. But the key for Paul was that these leaders were not just figurehead leaders like the Queen of England or something. No, no, no. They were, they were to lead with a very important purpose. And they were to lead as those that actually loved, right? They are to love what is good, right? They're to love what is good. Not like, it's it's not just to, to like good things, but to love them. See, a true leader that is following Jesus is in love with what is good. They won't just consider good. They won't tolerate good. They will love Love me some good. Now, the Greek language actually has one word for this whole good statement. It's this word right here. Um, it's a, a philagathos. Philagathos. And philagathos is a very interesting word. It's two words put together. It's phylos, which phylos in the Greek means uh, the love of a friend. The love of a friend. But then also, we have agoths, which, which means that it means good. So, so if you put those two together, so Paul is saying, hey, make sure your leaders love and care like you would care for a good friend. Now think about that for a minute. If we as leaders would lead with the same intention that we would with a good friend, our world would look so much different. And guys, that doesn't mean that we don't hold your staff accountable if you're a leader, or, or it doesn't mean that you fire somebody that needs to be fired. It doesn't mean that you, do, you, you act like Michael Scott from the office who wants to be a friend first and a boss second and Probably an entertainer third, he says, right? You know, not that. No, what Paul is saying is that what if we actually cared for people that we led and wanted to see them succeed? Because that's what you want for your friends, right? What if we did good by them and expected good to come out of them? How different would that be? See, I think one of the greatest companies on the planet that understands the power of loving what is good and and loving like a friend is Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A. It totally is, right? I, I reached out to my friend Micah. He's the owner-operator of the Chick-fil-A here in Manteca. Praise Jesus for the Chick-fil-A in Manteca. Can I get an amen from anybody here that likes some chicken? Okay. I reached out to him. I said, dude, you got to tell me, what's the secret sauce? What's the secret sauce for all the joy that seems to be happening? All your employees working at Chick-fil-A. Because, I mean, you, you pull up there, and you got 16-year-olds that are well-dressed, well-polite, and they say, it's my pleasure. What is happening, you know, to the world? Right? They do it with dignity. They have respect. What's the deal? I said, I know this comes from leadership. I know it comes from culture, so I want to know a little bit more about it. So I texted him. I said, hey, tell me. Here's part of what he, part of what he said. Let me share this with you. He says, I don't know about the secret sauce for Chick-fil-A, but I would say its legacy and value starts with the founder, Truett Cathy. 
He loved God and loved people. And I believe because of his obedience to faithfully serve that God, he was blessed in his business. But, but here's where I think it was very interesting of what, what he said. Micah said this. He said, in 1982, Chick-fil-A was at an inflection point. Taking on tons of debt, stores were in decline, lots of bad things happening. He says it was that year that they drew a line in the sand and set out the corporate purpose that is the same today. And here is Chick-fil-A's corporate purpose. Read it. It says, to glorify God by being a faithful steward of all that is entrusted to us, to have a positive influence on all who come in contact with Chick-fil-A. He continues, Micah says, Chick-fil-A continues to grow every day. Because I think we have our priorities centered on glorifying God and serving people. As Christ followers, because we have trusted God, we are called to devote ourselves to doing good. While I know we, we do that imperfectly at times, I think that is why people are drawn to serve and eat here. Our ultimate vision is to be the most caring company in the world. And for our business, we strive to do that by generously and joyfully serving one another and guests. They are selling chicken, people, okay? That's what they're selling. But that is their mission, to be the most caring company in the world. That's what I call loving what is good. Isn't it? But, but here's the sad part. That's the exception to the, the leadership rule these days. Because in most cases, most leaders... They look out for the goodness of themselves. It's all they look out for. The thought that most leaders have is that in order to be successful, I have to treat my employees and my coworkers as subordinates. You ever been under a leader like that? I mean, I mean, after all, they work for me, right? That's what they'll say. And doing good? Well, that isn't necessary so long as I get what I, I want. Ah, but, but this isn't a new thing. <laughs> oh my goodness, no. This has been around for a long time. In fact, I want you to listen to what Paul says uh, to another one of his young disciples. I mentioned him before. His name is Timothy. Listen to how Paul describes this, these selfish leaders in, in 2 Timothy. Now, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 1, Paul says, But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasures rather than the lovers of God, having a form of, um, of godliness but denying its power, having nothing to do with such, have nothing to do with such people. Paul brings it. Just call that everybody. He called out all the terrible leaders of his time, and frankly, he just called out every terrible leader of our time, too. Paul just said, now if you, it's interesting, if you look at what he says at Titus and in Timothy, he said the exact same thing, but in Timothy, he talked about the negative side of it. He talks about how, what a crummy leader looks like and what they're actually doing. That, that's what he says. But here's what's so funny about this to me, and tell me this isn't true. No one reads this, okay? No one reads all that stuff that I just said. No, no one reads that and thinks, dude, man, Paul, you, you've lost your mind, son. You just lost your mind. I mean, nobody says, you know what? I really love a leader that lies to my face. I mean, it just feels good to know that he's just, right? Uh, you know, no one says, I thrive under a boss that's abusive and unpredictable. I love going to work every day that way. This is great. 
No one says, you know what? I think the best leaders are those that are stuck up, power hungry, and only care about money. No one thinks that. We all know that this is not the love of good. This is the love of me. So what happens inside us when we stop loving what is good and we focus on what's best for me instead of the good? Well, I don't think we have to look too far to understand why this really happens. The truth is that doing good is harder. Doing good means that we don't cut corners and we do what God actually says. It means that we, we have to say no to things that everybody else is saying yes to. It means that we have to put in some, some effort. It means that we, we don't get swayed by what everyone else tells us that we, should, that we should be doing. And that last one's hard. Especially with the social media age that we live in, that, my goodness, we watch everybody's highlight reel of everyone's life every day. And we see what people have. And then we will do whatever it takes to get the thing that they have in their life. Their success, their popularity, their cars, their house, their girlfriend, their body, their abs, their stuff, everything. We'll do it all. And in order to do that, so often what we have to do is we have to compromise the good to get what we want. So we go into debt. We burn relationships. We abuse our bodies. All all because of what? To win the approval of people we may never meet in our life? To to be like everyone else and be indistinguishable from anyone. To say that we did it and to find out what it said it was going to do for us can't do for us. It's hard to do good when you're not content with God. I actually love what... uh, the first president of the United States, George Washington, said during a very uh, a difficult time of season of critique, he said this, he says, it is long since I've learned to hold popular opinion of no value. Can I get a thumbs up or an amen from anyone, right? You know, like, like YouTube, Facebook, Crossroads Online, isn't this exactly what you want? See, see, doing the right thing, the good thing, may not always be the most popular or the easiest thing to do. But when you've decided that the only voice that you care about is Jesus, then everything changes. So practically this means when you're a teacher or you're an administrator and everyone is losing their mind and complaining at left and right, keep acting like Jesus. Do good. When, when one of your employees is going through a rough patch, you don't pile on them. You do good. When your wife is completely buried and exhausted from working and taking care of the kids, you do whatever it takes to lighten their, her load. You, you do good. It means that even if you're not the leader of the organization, you lead right where you're at, right there. You bring Jesus to your job. You do good. I, I just believe that this is true, that leaders that love what is good will be loved by those they lead. Read that again. Leaders that love what is good will be loved by those they lead. But but before you read into this and say, well, I'll just define what my good is and everyone will love me, let me point you back to the only way that this is possible, that this is true. The only way that we can love what is good and hate what is not, the only way that we can have perspective, the perspective that we need in order to see the good around us, the way that we find that is actually found in the first verse that we read today. And you might have missed it. Look at Titus chapter 1, verse 1 again. It says, 
Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. Did you catch it? Amen to that. Right? See, here's the thing. Paul, let's think about this for a moment. Paul wrote this, okay? Paul, the apostle Paul, the one that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, Paul, the one who Jesus literally called into ministry after Paul, oh, by the way, had been murdering Christians and Jesus is knocking off, you need to be a pastor now. Paul, the church planter, who in churches all over the world and, and helped to spread the good news of Jesus across the globe. That Paul, the leader of leaders, Paul. Did you see how he addressed himself? He called himself a servant of God. A servant of God. Paul! He kept his priorities straight. Because before he was a leader, he was God's. Before he was a church planter, he was God's. Before he was the Apostle Paul, he was God's. It's only after he is found alive in Jesus that he can further the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. That's the only way. It is only when we understand that we are God's first that we can do what he's called us to do. So listen, here's what God is telling you and he's telling me. Before you were known as the highest grossing saleswoman of all time, he says, be known by Jesus. Before you lead a new business, be led by Jesus. Before you try to be a good parent, can you let God be your good, good father? Before you try and be good in your marriage, allow Jesus into your marriage. I want you to think about this one idea. That to be a leader that loves what is good, we have to be a leader, leader that loves God. Let me say it one more time. That to be a leader that loves what is good, that's what Paul's called us to. We have to be a leader that loves God first. First. The only way we can know what is truly good is by knowing God, is by knowing Jesus. To see him, to love him, to follow him fully. And as a leader, I always want to look to other leaders that are better than me to be able to learn from and if you didn't know, Jesus is the greatest leader of all time. So we should look to him so we can truly know what is good and what is the right thing to do. And so here's what I want us to do. As we prepare our hearts for communion right now and get ready for communion, I actually want us to have like a landing verse for this series that we could kind of commit to. And, and I'm going I'm to ask you to memorize it. And so here's what I want us to do. I want you to write this down. I want you to underline in your Bibles. I want you to highlight in your app, wherever it might be at. But, but as, we, as we come into this time of communion and, to sacrifice, and remember the sacrifice Jesus has done for us, here's what I want us to do. I, I want, I want you all to repeat this with me, this verse, wherever you might be at, okay? So whether you're in the room with us today, and, and that even means that my mom in South Dakota, uh, Riley, Gavin, Logan, Kim, and Marcos in Modesto, uh, Nicole and Gavin in Chicago, Derek in L.A., Barbara in Santa Rosa, people on their way to work. If you're on your RV and camping, wherever you might be at, I want you to say this loud. I want you to say it together. I'm not joking, okay? 
So Titus 3.8 is the verse that I want us to commit to memory, to, to work on, to be able to have it be the foundation of our time over the next four weeks. So I want to hear you, okay? I want to hear you, and let's read this together. Titus 3.8 says, This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Let's be devoted to doing good. Because Jesus, he's been so, so good to us. Be a leader that loves what is good. And to know what is good, we need to know God. So as we worship here in a second, as we prepare our hearts for communion, think about how you're going to do good in your slice of the world. Not for your glory, but for Jesus' glory. Because he's worth it and he's good. Let's pray. Mighty God and Father, we, uh, we simply come before you and are grateful that you are a good, good father to us. Because we know how disobedient we are. We know the things that we screw up on. Lord, we need you more than ever before. But God, I just love the fact that in your word, you say that when we start to follow you, that we should love what is good. But sometimes it can be hard to see when we're surrounded in a sea of negativity. But might we just be the children of God, the ones that come and spread good to the world. The good news of Jesus who we remember at the cro- on the cross who died for our sins in our place that defeated death for us, ascended to heaven for us, gives grace for us that only through him, it's not about our goodness, it's about his grace. But because we've accepted his grace, because we love him, we need to live a life that is good. So help us to do that, Father. Help us to worship now, but also to remember you through this communion, Jesus, of what you've done. Spirit, move in this place. We love you, we thank you, to Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you've discovered Jesus and this ministry has helped you follow him fully, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. You can give through our Crossroads app or at crossroadsgrace.org give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe to enjoy more messages like this. Now go and follow him fully.